Welcome to the Bad Tutors Podcast. If you're here for the newest up-to-date and accurate information on the nerdy topics that are near and dear to your heart, well, let me tell you, you ended up in the wrong place. Here, we are all about the hottest takes and the most grandiose displays of misinformation. So stick along for the ride, and you might just blow a blood vessel or two. I'm going to start off with a quote for you here, Tyler. <laughs> all right, let's hear it. We are born of the blood made men by the blood, undone by the blood. Our eyes are yet to open. Fear, the old blood. This is a key message in the game of Bloodborne. And I'm gonna learn you why it's some fucking bullshit, maybe. Okay. So this episode was meant to serve as a world primer for Bloodborne, as many of our episodes kind of are. Uh, that is, until I started looking into it a little more and ended up going full Pepe Silvia and nearly lost my mind while I was at work researching this topic. So, instead of that, it's going to be kind of a brief overview of the basics to hopefully get Tyler interested in the world enough to do some of his own research, watch a couple videos, and then hopefully we'll throw around some ideas So ne just so I don't taint his original ideas with what I think a lot of these things are so we can get a real a real fresh take on it and uh, maybe have some debate maybe agree with each other on what it is but I feel like my takes on it are just a little spicy I don't think they're like super far removed from the general consensus on a lot of Bloodborne topics but I, I think I might have a few takes that are a little out there, as is par for the course for me. You put on, you put on your tinfoil hat for this for this game series? Um, I think the tinfoil hat is the best-in-slot helmet when you're talking oh. about Bloodborne lore, to be perfectly honest with you. Gotcha, gotcha. I don't think that is a hot take at all. Okay. So, with most FromSoft games, the story and lore is like very deeply woven into the game, but it is very much not explicitly told to you. Like, the cutscenes in Bloodborne and any of the FromSoft games realistically are the boss intros. Like, there's a couple. Normally, they start with one that kind of gives you, like, an opening to the world, but it's going to leave you with a lot of questions, and you're not really... Unless you look into it yourself, you're not really going to get a good picture of what the lore is. Kind of like Destiny did, but they do it a lot better because you can learn it in the games and you don't have to go to a separate website to learn all of them, which is absolutely gotcha. fucking stupid. Uh, not to shit on Destiny, but, you know, here we are. So with my first time through the game, I very much went, ooh, look at all the spooky pictures and let me just slash this boss to pieces, please. And that maintained through my whole playthrough because I was going very much no spoilers on anything. I didn't even watch videos. Like, all of the other FromSoft games, I had, like, watched videos of, like, challenge runs and things like that before I actually beat the game with the exception of Elden Ring. So I was really going very blind into it. And then once I finished the game, I really started digging in to the story and the background and that made it become my favorite FromSoft game, at least in terms of the story. Elden Ring still might have my heart for my actual favorite game, but from a storytelling perspective and a setting perspective, Bloodborne wins 
through and through without a fucking doubt in my mind. So what I'm really getting at with all of that is this episode is basically going to be nothing but spoilers for most of Bloodborne's story. So if you're a FromSoft fan, piecing it together is like the biggest part of the experience. So maybe don't listen to this one, but I'm really into it and Tyler has to endure it with me. And also I know he's not going to play the game. So uh, it's it's very really much care. a skill issue when it comes to Souls games. It's, it's just I, I'm so bad at them. It's frustrating. They're, to they're the point. not that hard. It is. Beat, it is that hard. I beat Dark Souls three in a week, having only played like four and a half hours of Bloodborne. It's not that bad. It's a skill issue. It is. You're right, but like, it's not that much of a skill issue. You can just pick up a big heavy sword and it's go. It's a bonk. mental issue. It's a mental there, there issue. There we go. It's a mental issue for sure. So, we're gonna start uh, as in most fantasy worlds is in the past, of course. So the Thumerians are the first topic that we're going to cover. They are a mostly unknown race of people where that were have said to unlock the eldritch truth and served as guardians to the great ones. So I suppose I should say a little bit of context first with this. Uh, Bloodborne is very inspired by Lovecraftian mythos. It's not like directly taken through it. You're not going to see Migo and Cthulhu in things, but like when you look at the boss design and even like the sound design of a lot of things, you're going to see a lot of like very heavy Lovecraftian horror drive and inspiration from a lot of these so that's that's the kind of framing that we're going into this one for so with those guardians of the great ones the great ones as i just kind of said you should think of lovecraftian mythos and a lot of that has come from it so they are similar big air quotes to the deities of lovecraft they are large cosmic entities with some kind of a physical form in our material plane but like that is not what they are they are an outer presence in a realm we can't even conceive of they have ascended to a new level of existence but have an influence over our normal mortal plane and that is where it seems that the thumerians have gotten a lot of their strength from they're the ones that carved out what are known as the chalice dungeons which in my opinion is where most of the issues in bloodborne started not only in the lore because that is where the issues started but also in how the lore is tackled because bloodborne you can never touch a chalice dungeon your whole game and be 100 percent fine it's like a pretty, I've learned now, a pretty influential and like really good place to go do a lot of content. There's a lot of content locked away in there. There's like four unique bosses, but it's not explained how they work mechanically or why you should go to them. So if you just ignore them, you're missing the entire basis of how the world works, which I get it. It's a FromSoft game. That's kind of how it be. But, like, they could have done something to incentivize you a little more to go into them to kind of discover what they are and why they're there. In but, your first playthrough, did you go to any Chalice Dungeons? So I did once I learned that there is 
a specific dungeon. They are all there are certain set dungeons that you go through with different chalices, hence being called chalice right, dungeons. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but there are also I I don't want to say an infinite number, but they have codes that are associated with like randomly generating different dungeons. And okay. there's one that when you walk in you walk in about 15 feet, you turn to your left, and something starts dying because it's standing in poison, but its platform hasn't been loaded in by the game. So it just dies, and you get around 70,000 souls, or okay, what so it's in the game. It's you used it as, as an exploit? Correct. It's known <laughs> as the cum, the cum dungeon, based oh. on the fact that the code is... I'm not going to remember it exactly, but it starts with C-U-M-M and then goes into some letters that you use to generate this specific dungeon. On subsequent playthroughs, I avoid it for everything that isn't getting the healing items because my biggest issue with Bloodborne in terms of the gameplay is that in the other Dark Souls games, as I'm sure you know, you have your... Uh, flask or whatever healing item that when you die it resets to full and you can just keep charging on. In Bloodborne you have blood vials that are consumed. So if you're killing a boss and you go you die 10 times. You've burned 20 or 20 blood vials a time let's say. Sure. And now you're out. You have to go break your like break the flow of like just going and killing the boss for like an hour to go smashing your head against a boss fight yeah right which in my opinion takes me out of the game too much so i never use it to level anymore and just get stronger i only use it to allow myself to just continue playing the game but you can definitely just exploit it and get to as high a level as you want immediately set up your build and just charge through the rest of the game so it's it's a dichotomy. I have a lot of opinions on how Bloodborne works mechanically as well, but overall it did an absolutely fantastic job. Uh, so getting back into that, uh, the Thumerians are the ones who carved out the Chalice Dungeons, and it is under the city that most of the game takes place in, which is known as Yarnum. That got its name from the last ruler of the Thumerians, Queen Yarnum, as the dungeons are carved deeper and deeper under the city. Uh, More people needed to go into them, more research needed to be done, so a city was simply built on top of them. We can also call it London, because everything is very London-esque. The voices, the kind of high gothic setting of it is like, a lot of it looks very like that. That's one of the big, like, in-jokes of the community. Not in-jokes, but, like, a lot of people just call it London. Right. So, how these were found is uh, the College of Bergenworth, which is a major faction that we will talk about soon, were the first ones to discover them in the, air quote, modern day, which is, like, a little bit before the actual game takes place themselves. Okay. Um, they sent out prospectors that broke into the Tomb of the Gods, in which they were actually able to find a physical chalice, which let them kind of transport quickly into these dungeons instead of having to actually dig your way into it. These chalices led to the creation of the Healing Church and Blood Healing, or Blood Ministration. 
which is what the healing church used to for right now i'm going to say cure the populace of what i'm going to talk about next which is the scourge of the beast now this is like the biggest thing that you're going to see progressing throughout the game i'm sure you've seen some bloodborne enemies your yeah. first enemies are going to start out just like kind of lanky and wiry and not act quite like people would but as you go through the game you see people devolving further and further into stages of the beast plague where they start growing hair their limbs elongate even more they start moving in new strange ways growing new limbs and just becoming they look more like beasts as this goes on and this comes from the beast plague the healing church once established set out to fight against this plague and stop it as much as they could they created what are now known as the hunters which is what you are in bloodborne you are one of the hunters and every night they would go out to combat them and they went as far to even burn down and seal off a part of old yarnum to help slow the flow of the scourge as much as they could okay so this is the scourge like an actual disease that is like transmitted yes. from person to person not necessarily from person to person as in like a werewolf would be but yes it is in itself an actual disease that can be sl from what we know it can be slowed but not stopped okay so the healing church was originally a split from the college of bergenworth as master willem who was the leader of bergenworth uh when lawrence the first vicar of the church began the practice of blood ministration he used the old blood which willem feared to cure as with the quote that we had earlier uh as a cure to save the people of yarnum while Lawrence believed that the blood was the way forward, it would make humanity grow closer with the Great Ones and even more powerful, Willem disagreed, uh, calling the schism of the two a betrayal to Bergenworth, and he believed that insight and eyes were the way forward. So the goal of everyone in the world of Bloodborne seems to be to grow closer with the Great Ones, which, you know, that's your standard... You grow closer with your deities, you become more powerful, that kind of thing. All of them, the end goal, I believe, would be to ascend to the plane of the Great Ones and be with them, right? Sure. The Great Ones are, like, monsters, though, right? Yes and no. They are certainly monstrous. Okay. They are all, like, they look like, they're the boss. You don't, you only fight two kind of within the game and they're not even like full great ones when you fight them only one of them actually is there's one boss that hasn't ascended and one of the factions that we'll talk about in a bit has made contact with them and uses them as their direct source of power so lawrence used the old blood which as well was found within the Thumerian tombs and the chalice dungeons. The chalices held the old blood that they now use for this. Lawrence used them to heal 
anything that ailed the people of Yarnum. And when I say anything, I mean the old blood could cure any disease known to man, any ail any ailments, really anything at all. Uh, they it created a stronger, healthier people, and therefore they had a great reverence to the church because they could fix anything wrong with them through this use of blood ministration. So the church became the healing church became more and more powerful as things went on. And at one point, there is a quote that uh, the old blood was produced more than alcohol in Yarnum because the former was more intoxicating. More and more people would be would be using it constantly and consistently. So there were a couple branches of the healing church, which I'll go into. The first being the choir. These are the highest ranking members of the church, consisting of your scholars, doctors, prospectors, and clerics. They found the Great Is Chalice, which allowed them to commune with Abritus, the great one that I had mentioned, who was left behind when all of the others seemingly disappeared or are thought to have ascended into the greater plane. They seek to evolve mankind such as the scholars of Bergenworth, though they seek to do it with the use of the old blood rather than the insight that one could gain on their own. So it's kind of a use of thing or study to find your power is the dichotomy between sure, these sure. two different factions. Then the workshop, which is founded by German, he was the first of all of the hunters himself, and Ludwig of the Healing Church began sanctioning their own hunters and doing their own practices. They created their own devices, which are the weapons that we see within Bloodborne itself, to create more and better ways to fight the beasts that continued to come up. And now, the Healing Church hunters kind of just killed fucking everyone like if they thought you were a beast or had the beast plague they kind of just killed you because it's the easiest way to stop the spread sure which you know not great that's that's kind of the thing in this game is no one is really good it's just what flavor of bad do you like it's kind of <laughs> like okay. 40k in that way yeah, of yeah like everyone's the bad guy but that's kind of the fun of it it's a very interesting one to look into. There's a reason that I like this lore so much. So, uh, I'm going to skip the next part that I have in here, and I'm going to go to Bergenworth, because they're uh, a little bit more prominent in the continuity. Sure, we've, we've talked about, about them a lot, yeah. Yeah. So, this is the institution, as I said, that first led the expeditions into the Tomb of the Great Ones, finding the chalices and the old blood, and performing their initial experiments with it. But... Master Willem, the head of Bergenworth, quickly decided that the old blood should not be tampered with and should be feared. He concluded that the way to transcend to be with the Great Ones was through insight, or more literally, having more eyes. And I do mean that in the literal sense. Okay. When you go to Bergenworth, you find, like, fly-headed enemies that are covered with eyes. The, the direct link of eyes to insight 
was very literal to these people, and they thought, if I have more eyes, I will be able to see and understand more. So, as I said, many Bergenworth scholars can be seen with these kind of humanoid, fly-like heads containing hundreds and hundreds of eyes, and Master Willem himself sought to line his brain with eyes so he could transcend to the same status as the Great Ones and help his followers do the same. It's some real weird fucking shit, is what it comes down to. It's pretty insane when you think about it. it yes. But you gotta get those eyes, you know what I mean? Sometimes, so, I, if you can't see, what do you do? You get more eyes. Eyes help you see more. Is this a surgical implantation of more eyes? Is this a... Uh, mutation that they bring about through like the the beast uh, the scourge of the beast yes gotcha yeah maybe not through the scourge of the beast but through further research and things but I'm okay. sure that they also implanted eyes uh, as well a lot of uh, healing church members can be seen with things covering their eyes as a kind of reverence to Bergenworth while there was the kind of break in schism between the two. Uh, it's not as though the healing church did not still have respect and reverence to the scholars of Bergenworth. They just believed something different. And they thought their way was more direct to achieve their goal. Sure. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's a real... It's a real fucking thing, let me tell you. There's... Like, I'm being very cursory because there's a lot that would be getting more into my opinion and how things work, and I really want sure, you sure. to form some of your own. Uh, next, I'm going to talk about who is my favorite faction, and I think weirdly, and when I say what they do, uh, it's going to sound really weird when I say I think they were kind of the best ones. They're kind of the least bad out of everyone else. And they're known as the Vilebloods. They were a group of nobles that would feast on the blood of others to bring about a child of blood from their queen, Annalise. They reside at the Forsaken Castle Canehurst, a very difficult to access location within the game that is very similar to kind of a Castle Dracula. That's like a very good like what it looks like, what it feels like. Uh, and all of them ended up being killed by a faction of the healing church known as the Executioners. That whole line is probably one of my favorites within the game, but it's, it's very strange to say that I think they're the least bad of all of them, but it's kind of because they kind of just did their own thing and they were trying to influence and, like, get their own goals accomplished. But without getting into it too, too much, they kind of did the least harm, in my opinion. Like, yeah, they were sure. feasting on the blood of others to bring about a child of blood and all that. But, you know, that's killing, like, I don't know, 20, 30 people a month. How it, Like, that's obviously... A large okay, extrapolation. So That's not like a real number, but like your stance is the ritual sacrifice of people is a lesser evil comparatively to 
what these other groups of people were committing and uh and doing like the Bergenworth. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a lot. There's a this, lot this is there's a, a very, lot. I I'm just getting like uh 40k vibes from this. It's like yeah. where are the good guys? Like who do you cheer for? It's like Exactly What do you mean? I, there are I as well draw a lot of comparisons between 40k in Bloodborne in that kind of analogy of like everyone's pretty fucked up but like man I guess the guys that are doing ritual sacrifice they're not that bad right? Yeah. Big it question seems... mark at the end of that statement. It seems like maybe and this is going to be a little bit uh, fucked to say but it seems like from the descriptions that I've gotten Maybe the vile bloods are like the most um, realistic and and humanized people that aren't looking for some sort of uh, enlightenment through um, yeah. turning themselves into flies or yeah yeah that's that's kind of the vibe realistically it's real fucked it's real fun though uh, I want to talk a little bit about the Yarnamites as well these are your uh, your Cockney geezers. Uh, going out on the town. Uh, That's enough. The ones, the ones that were uh, hit with the beast plague, but also conscripted by the church as hunters in the later days, mostly to avoid the uh, the bad side and kind of aid in the image of the hunters, because they were kind of big, scary figures that would just come out and kill shit in the night. Okay, so you then know, do you not a great look. Do you play as a Yarnamite in the same way that in like the Souls games you play as uh one of the uh whatever the fuck they're called? Uh the uh, Ashen one is uh Elden Ring. Right, uh, Ashen one and Elden Ring. Tarnished. Uh, um Is it like Forsaken kind, or something? Kind no, it's of not Forsaken. So it's are you a Yarnamite? I would say Probably, I don't know for sure, to be honest with you, but you are a hunter, which I just assume they mostly come from Yarnum, as that is the, I'd say the main setting of civilization, but the only setting of real civilization. So I assume you are from that, but a big part of Bloodborne that I haven't even touched on, because in fairness it's very confusing and kind of difficult to wrap your head around mm. is the difference between the dream and the nightmare oh, so okay. in a mechanical sense okay the dream is your firelink shrine it's your home base that is where german and the hunter's workshop is located and every time you die you go in, or you go into the nightmare and every time you die in the game you return to a lantern which links you to the dream lanterns are your equivalent of bonfires sure, in the game sure. and they quite literally guide your way through the game that's what you're finding and progressing and unlocking so the nightmare is the world that the majority of the game takes place in and as a hunter of the workshop 
you are inherently linked to the dream. That is the reason why you don't die. You simply return to the dream, right? Okay. Gotcha. So it's, it really is just like a lot. And like, like I said, this is a very cursory glance at how Bloodborne works okay, in its so entirety. Yarnamites must be citizens of Yarnum then. That's just like what they're yes. called. Okay. Correct, yeah. So mm -hmm. it, it is not spe like a specific like subsection of hunters, but... No. But the hunters existed, and they were freaking out the Yarnamites because the hunters just fucking killed everything, like you said earlier. Exactly. Uh, anything that showed, okay. Okay, yeah, gotcha. Yeah, so, so to it, kind of, in a PR decision, they were like, hey, we're going to recruit you. Come hunt with us. Working together is the way forward. We are not at odds with each other. We are trying to do the same thing. You don't want to be killed by the beasts, and we don't want you to be killed by the beasts. We want to kill them as well. Come help us do it. Gotcha. They weren't great at it, obviously. Hunters were very highly skilled and highly trained but it was it was basically a pr move of like come help us and we'll help you at the same time sort of a thing you know i see i see so let me see here i have a <laughs> i have a whole list of things that are objective brackets more or less is kind of a this is going to be a bit of a shorter episode clearly because i want you to do some digging yeah, into yeah. This as well um so the things that are objectively true, at least how they are portrayed to us, is that the Beast Plague is a thing that exists. It is bad. Nobody likes it. No one thinks that the Beast Plague is helping them ascend or do anything good. It is simply a disease which must be culled. The Healing Church is an organization that did blood ministration to further their goals help the people and they did help the people as i said the ministration of old blood cured ailments and many other things and they hunted the beasts uh there isn't a ton more information on thumerians like kind of what we have is, is that is they it? made they made the tombs and they're all dead now other than queen yarnum who is like one of the final boss or who is the final boss of the chalice dungeons okay um bergenworth is and the healing church split with each other over the old blood and the use of it okay so the healing church uses the old blood bergenworth is like no put a bunch of eyes in your head get enlightened that way correct insight okay. so your two currencies in bloodborne are insight and blood echoes okay uh Insight is realistically a useless currency. It at certain milestones of having it, it's something that you get in game not only from items, there are madman's knowledge that like literally just you pop it and it gives you more insight similarly to how you pop a thing of lost souls in a dark souls game. Sure. There's of course the equivalent in blood echoes as well, but insight at certain milestones changes how the game is like you i believe it i'm gonna say seven insight new enemies spawn because you are literally able to see a new type of thing there are events that occur that don't like realistically change gameplay other than that one i suppose okay but 
they so at different milestones you're getting things like that and then you can buy things with it that doesn't really matter it lets you buy like upgrade materials and armor that kind of thing once you hit certain points in the game but so your insight versus blood is the big debate between the two major factions uh the healing church hates the vile bloods because they stole some of the old blood from them and that's a big no-no they're the only ones that are allowed to use the old blood no one else should be using it because even the healing church thinks and knows that it is dangerous so they should be the ones in control of it right that's just kind of how they function uh the old bloods or the old blood came from the great ones the blood of the great ones is the old blood that is why it does what it does it is the blood of a higher being sure sure so it is very influential to the people the beast plague no matter what is spread it continues to spread and i'm gonna say that no one knows why until you learn more okay sure um and the Canehurst nobles were just a group of fucking blood sacrificers that drink the blood of people to create what their goal is when i say they seek to birth a child of blood is they're trying to create their own great one okay so they that's their end goal with it they think through ritual sacrifice and consuming of blood they will make a thumerian they will make a great one not a thumerian wait i have a huge disconnect that i just realized at the end of the episode Mm -hmm. the thumerians are not the great ones no they are the ones that originally like originally discovered them and are linked with them through the chalice dungeons yes yep they are a type of people yes i understand Yeah, they are a type of people that no longer exists outside of a few instances within the Chalice Dungeons. They're like an ancient race. Exactly, And to make my smooth brain understand, I understand now. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there are... I I don't know if there is an exact number of great ones, to be honest with you. Sure, sure. There's certainly a certain amount that we know of, um, but I don't know if there are an exact amount like an an amount of god basically gods is realistically what they are they are outer world deities but yeah so the vile blood's goal was to make their own by giving the blood of others to their queen annalise so she could birth a new great one gotcha and then they get old blood which is mm -hmm. like how that's that's the bee's knees the old blood is like the good stuff the old blood is that good stuff, for sure. Alright, I understand <laughs> Two other characters to quickly touch on, because they are very important to Bloodborne as a whole, but not as much for what I consider the kind of cursory glance at it, is the runesmith Carol. He is the one that, obviously... Great ones in, in like, standard Lovecraft sense. No one can directly understand the Great Ones, which is why they're trying to ascend and be able to do this. Carol is the one that was able to transcribe what they're saying into terms that people with enough 
insight or enough use of the old blood could understand. These Carol runes in-game are like static bonuses to your character. Like, you can carry five more blood vials or you get X amount of extra critical hit damage, things like that. Those are like the items that you find throughout the game. But like sure. within the lore of the world, it is the direct insight of the old ones that has been transcribed into a rune that people can then understand. Okay. And the other character to touch on, which is um, next to the Bed of Chaos in Dark Souls 1, I, I would certainly say, but I believe a lot of people would agree, is the worst boss that FromSoft has ever come out with which is Mikolash. Um, his laughter is burned into my memory because you have to hear it just so goddamn much. <laughs> and it's really, it's really quite awful. Um, Mikolash was the head of the School of Mensis, which was another break or part of Bergenworth. Uh, the scholars of Mensis have a Mensis cage which is like literally picture just like a really tall bird cage okay. that they put on their head as they thought it would protect them from it. Mikolash being the head or one of the heads of this, uh, all of his students went completely insane and he helped create the nightmare that we find ourselves in, which is just like I said, kind of just a whole fucking thing. Like the night, the difference between the nightmare and the dream is a lot to wrap your head around. Um, they there's a whole whole thing where there are parts of an umbilical cord. There are four. Get this. There are okay. four thirds of an umbilical cord. Four thirds throughout. Four thirds. So one and an a third cord. of an umbilical cord. Correct of a great one. Which of which uh, the school of Menses had one, the is this all the same great ones umbilical cord? I believe so. Yeah, they're just so great that they have more than they have more than one hole. Yeah, that's crazy. The, the mechanical use for that in game is uh, if you use three of them before you beat the final boss, it triggers a secret boss that you then fight, which gives you the third ending of the game. Okay. So you only need to consume three of them, not all four, which is why I think that there's four, so, like, you can miss one and Well, see, now, now I have, like, a very important question. Mm-hmm. If they're all from the same umbilical cord... Yeah. And it's four pieces. Mm-hmm. Four pieces of a whole. Yep. How is it four-thirds? I agree. That is a good question, isn't it? I wish I had an answer for you, but I certainly don't, because it's simply confusing. I don't think math works this way. Maybe you uh, just need no. three-fourths of an umbilical cord to trigger the ending. You would be correct, but that does not change the fact that the item is listed as one-third umbilical cord. Holy fuck. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, I thought maybe exactly. your, your syntax of, no, no. of the way that you were saying it was wrong, but no, it's... A third of a of an umbilical cord. Okay, 
Yeah, no, that's just kind of how it is. Like, my smooth brain does not understand the old ones and their yeah, umbilical is, cords. Yeah, there's a one-third of umbilical cords. Oh, yeah. God. And there are four different parts of it. One, through killing a woman. So, you know, or actually, sorry, that's not true. Two, through killing a woman. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's weird shit. But yeah, you consume three of them, and then you get to fight the secret final boss of the game. So Mikolaj, to kind of round things out, went completely insane and wanders the halls of the School of Mensis eternally in his insanity, which they made his boss fight the most infuriating thing ever, where he will endlessly wander these halls taunting you um, until he runs into a specific room where he will finally fight you for about half of his health and then he will do it again. Wonderful. And then you go back in and fight him which like kudos to them for being so dedicated to the lore and incredibly lore accurate that it fits exactly his personality but goddamn if it isn't literally the worst boss fight okay that they've ever created sure just remember that they wrote the lore so they wrote it that way yeah, exactly. <laughs> so like Correct. fuck them for that yeah like like i said the bed of chaos is like objectively a worse boss in dark souls one okay but also dark souls one was hit with a lot of crunch time and they weren't able to get out the like last four or five bosses how they wanted to have them with like all of the like different areas and things that would have connected them so like in isolith is what where they are there's like four bosses that are basically back to back to back to back because they simply didn't have the development time gotcha so like it's almost understandable that the bed of chaos is bad because of crunch time I don't think there was crunch time for Bloodborne, or at least not to the same extent. So they just made that choice, and I'm still upset about it. And that's like, that is one of my three big issues with the game. The other one is how healing is handled, but like, if you use the cum dungeon, it's fine. <laughs> like, it eliminates the problem as long as you don't abuse it to like, level things up. Like, I view that as a perfectly viable way to play through the game sure. just just so you don't have to go like grind for healing items for hours on end. right come will save you come will save you because i didn't mention but as you progress through the game you have your healing and your bullets which are your two main like consumables that you always have on you they're not like items that you equip um And as you progress through the game and kill certain bosses at certain milestones, they become more expensive. So it takes longer and longer to grind them out the further into the game you are, which, in fairness, is really only an issue on your first playthrough when you're learning everything. Once you kind of know the bosses a little bit, know their attack patterns and things like that, it's a lot less of an issue. But if you're just having a bad day and get your shit rocked like ten times by one boss... It's still an issue. Right. So using that dungeon to just alleviate that problem, personally, I view is objectively fine. And I don't have an issue with it. But I believe with that, I hope I've inspired you to ask me for the videos to watch to uh, dive into what I'll foreshadow is 
the propaganda of Bergenworth and the Healing Church, which is what I'm trying to avoid, but the the big thing you that like, help really yourself. made me lose you my mind. You couldn't help yourself. You just had to throw in the word propaganda. Well, the thing is, that's what it is. And uh, that's why I lost my mind so much. There are two specific items that I was going back and forth. I won't say what they are. Sure. But there were two items that are tangentially linked together that are very key to everything and how everything works and in the wiki there was a very large discrepancy which is the point and it absolutely made me lose my shit i lost my mind for a full day of work trying to figure out why it was this way and the answer is it's all propaganda right right so everything i've told you may or may not be true is what I'll end with. <laughs> Perfect. I, I hope I've inspired you to look into it a little bit more, and even if you never play the games, I think by far Bloodborne has the best lore of any of the Soulsborne games. Not to say that any of them have bad lore by any means. Elden Ring being co-written with George R.R. R. Martin is simply too confusing for me to give a shit, to be honest. <laughs> Certainly. It's, it's, uh, I'd like to love it. There are a couple plot threads in there that I know about that are very cool, but it's an open-world game, so it has probably thousands of hours of lore and things poured into it that in five years, Vati might have some more concise lore of how everything works, and I might go learn it. <laughs> but for right now... It's simply too confusing. The lore of Blood, uh, Dark Souls is also very good. Like, there's a lot of really good characters. All of the FromSoft games are a lot more character than story-driven. Right. That's, like, the whole point of it. And, like, you get their good plot lines, and they're all fantastically written. But Bloodborne just has the best, in my opinion. And it, learning that took Bloodborne from being a good game that I very thoroughly enjoyed. There were only a couple sections and a couple bosses that aren't my favorite to probably one of my more favorite games of all time. One of the the final boss, uh, specifically his music, I thought was rather underwhelming. Which is a weird thing to say, but the Souls franchise is historically known for having very good boss music. I sample it in D&D fucking constantly the only reason that you don't realize that is because you haven't played the games yourself um so i thought it was a little underwhelming and right after i beat it and i learned the lore of that character i instantly began to love the song and it became one of my favorite songs in the entire bloodborne game so like learning the lore of this game genuinely changed the way i thought about it and there aren't a lot of games that I can say that for, where, like, learning the story made me look at it as an entirely different game. And I think that's very impressive. I don't think it's the best way to tackle things. I don't think that you should have to watch four hours plus of videos to appreciate the game as it is intended. But I still think it is a feat, nonetheless, that is very impressive for them to have accomplished. Right. Well, I'm certainly going to check it out, um, mostly so that we can do a follow-up episode. But it is interesting, um, and I do I do love uh, big conspiracy theories. 
And this just you're seems gonna, like you're gonna love it tip, if you get into the it. The tip of the iceberg. Maybe there's a conspiracy theory iceberg video I can watch. There might be. I'll see if I can find one for you. There's there's certainly some good content on the game, and it is one that I, as I said, there are hours and hours and hours of content that you can watch that will fill you in on all of the ins and outs of everything. But also, Vatividia does a 30-minute video covering the story that gives you all the basics that you need to know. And if, from this episode, any of this sounded just a little bit interesting, I highly encourage you to go check out his videos and, realistically, all of his videos. He's a fantastic creator for all of the Souls games. So, I just go, just go check it out if you liked this. <laughs> but with that... I believe we're going to wrap it up. Uh, I've been Ian. I have always been Tyler. And uh, we hope you have a great day, weekend, night, whenever you're listening to this. And uh, we hope you come back for the next episode. We're not sure what it's going to be yet, but uh, hopefully it'll be something that interests you. Uh, So have a great time until then. Take care.